0: to the Prepared Mindset Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Austin, coming at you guys with another great episode this week. And there's so much going on in the world, so much to talk about. We are now two days removed from Election Day. Uh, unfortunately, the red wave that I think many of us were expecting uh, never really made landfall. Uh we'll see. I think there are still a couple States that for whatever reason, still can't, uh, tally up and get a, an accurate number. Uh, I know that there's a couple of runoff elections. I know Warnock and, and Herschel Walker. I know that's one that everyone's keeping a close eye on for, uh, you know, a magnitude of things. And then there's also the, the whispers and the ideas and the rumors that we may actual actually see Nancy Pelosi dethroned. Like, be still my heart. I would Nothing would make me happier than to see that woman removed from power. She's just awful. I do not like her. She's a nasty woman. I think that she manipulates her political position for her, her own gain. I think it's just terrible, but I digress. Um, we'll see how this shakes out. I know... Depending on how the House and Senate turn out, it could mean a lot of different things given the current administration's agenda on gun control, which is obviously something that if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably concerned about. So more to come on that. Uh, I guess all we can do now is kind of hold our breath and cross our fingers and pray that that things don't move that way. Uh, I know some of us are ill-impacted by the results of several measures that were put up for, uh, for vote. Um, <clears throat> my guest this week is Nick Keitlicka. Nick has uh, been on the pod before. He is the manager of marketing over at Leopold Optics, and Nick is uh, a resident of the state of Oregon where they passed probably the most aggressive gun control measure we've seen um, and it probably won't stand honestly like it's it's ridiculous i mean permitting and requiring of safety classes and background checks and uh, you know magazine capacity, it's like it, it, all the worst things all rolled into one bill and i know there's already been at least one sheriff in one of the counties there that like won't enforce parts of it and stuff like that and it's a whole shit show but at any rate well, this week, what we're talking about with Nick is specifically long distance shooting and precision shooting. That's what Nick does as a competition shooter. That's where his passion in the shooting world lies, and it's something that I know very little about. So I'm bringing somebody in that can teach me and you also, right, some of the ins and outs that go with optics and using your reticle and understanding a lot of these pieces of information and nuance that, you know, new shooters or hell, even experienced shooters may not understand. You know, it's, uh, coming up on hunting season or it's actually, we're into deer hunting season here in Michigan, but we're coming up on rifle season, which is a big deal here. And I feel like a lot of hunters out there still rock the basic three to nine crosshair scope, and they don't really understand that they can get more out of their optic setup if they just knew a little bit more or made some better decisions on some some gear selections and things like that. So that's what Nick and I spend uh, our conversation tonight talking about. And you guys are really going to dig it, man. It's, it's a lot of cool stuff. Uh, before I get into the conversation with Nick, though, I do have to say thank you. We have some presenting sponsors here. This is a sponsored podcast. Uh, first, as always, have to say thank you to our friends over at eclipse holsters guys head on over to Eclipseholsters.com and check out what the team's got cooking for you whether it's a holster whether it's a mag carrier concealed carry belts uh or accessories right there's always extra stuff fun little things that the jess and team have available on site self-defense tools tourniquets tourniquet holders all that good stuff available on the site they hook you guys up discount code prepared mindset it's all one word it's gonna save you 20% off your order, regardless of what you get. So maybe you're just upgrading clips and hardware from an older holster or a different company's holster because maybe you want the discrete carry clips. Maybe you're buying a new holster, new mag pouch. Hey, maybe you're just buying a couple tourniquet carriers to keep in the car and in your vertex bag, whatever have you. Again, code prepared mindset's gonna save you 20% off. However, spend over a hundred bucks, are going to upgrade you to free fedex two-day shipping which is awesome especially as we near the holiday season where usps gets less and less reliable guys jessner team do outstanding work they make great holsters that are reliable and safe to carry with and they have a lifetime guarantee and a satisfaction guarantee so you don't like what you got it doesn't work for you in my instance my wife bought a new gun three weeks later They exchanged it for what we wanted was just the exact same model, just made for a different gun. No problems. Still turned around in three business days. Still had it out to me. It's just awesome, awesome company. Head over to eclipseholsters.com. One more time, prepared mindset, all one word, save you 20% off the order. Additionally, we are now sponsored by Active Carry. Guys, head over to activecarrytech.com and pick up a med kit for yourself today. I got one of the blazer kits sent out with the Slishman upgrade. Guys, check out our Instagram. I just did a, a reel on the Slishman pressure wrap. It's a great companion to a cat tourniquet. If you carry a cat with you, carry a Slishman with you. Having that pressure dressing is great for wounds, it's great for animals, it's great for children, and it goes on almost the exact same way that a tourniquet does. Additionally, Bill and team there have a bunch of options. They sell components and pieces. So maybe you already have a kit. You need a refill. You want to build out some things. You want to add to what you have. Head on over to activecarrytech.com. You can use code PMP10. Save you 10% off the order. Doing great, great things over there. And again, if you guys carry a firearm, if you carry the ability to create a hole and to create damage, you need to carry the same kind of supplies that can help remedy that damage. The life you save maybe your own, maybe your friend, your family. Hell, it doesn't have to be a gunshot wound. It could be just something, you, a car accident passing by, right? Make yourself effective. Make yourself a, a powerful addition to any situation by having these supplies with you. Even if you can't use all of it, There may be somebody on scene who can't, a doctor on their way to work or on their way home from work, an EMT, whatever have you. Maybe it's a mass casualty event and you just need more supplies. Be that person. Have those things with you. Be well prepared. Again, activecarrytech.com, our code PMP10 is going to save you 10% off your order. Head over to the site, check out what they got going on, pick up a kit for yourself and your family. Lastly, larplabs.com. Guys, you got a rifle, got an optic. Hey, maybe you got a PBS14. Head over to LARP Labs, pick up some vinyl wraps. Listen, I know painting your rifles is cool. It's really cool. However, it's only cool if the paint matches your environment. And here in Michigan, and I'm fairly certain several other states in the country, the weather changes pretty dramatically, pretty freaking often. Head up, head over to uh, LARP Labs.com, pick up some vinyl wraps get an idea of what you want to paint your rifle. Or if you don't want to paint it, you don't want to commit, right? Maybe you're a little, you know, anxious about it. That's fine. Pick out the wrap that matches what you need for the, weathers, the weather and conditions that you need. Guys, this isn't just a sticker, all right? This is the same kind of vinyl that they wrap rock crawlers in. All right, so it's pretty durable stuff, and it is laser cut to fit your specific optic or light or PVS fourteen. And they're always working on new designs and things to come out to supplement what they have out there. They hooked us up with a discount code: prepared mindset, all lowercase. It'll save you ten percent off your order. Again, looking for something to help break up the lines in your rifle, help your camouflage. This is a great great solution if you're not sure how you want to paint your rifle. This is a really low cost and easy convenient way to try out some new patterns and ideas. Keep up with the ever changing weather. You know, again here in Michigan we see gigantic weather swings. It's 70 degrees today and 2 days of so the high will be 40 degrees. And you know that'll be when I'll be out hitting the range, right? So head over to larplabs.com, see if they've got your optic, your light, Go ahead and pick up one of the vinyl wraps, support a great company, and check them out. Again, discount code PREPARED MINDSET. That's all one word and all lowercase 10% off your order. But all right, enough of that stuff, guys. I'm talking this week, like I said, with Nick Kytlica. He's the marketing manager uh, for Leopold Optics. Super nice guy, very knowledgeable gentleman, uh, in the and especially in the realm of long distance and precision shooting. We have a pretty cool discussion about all of that stuff, uh, so I am going to jump on over to that here, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Check it out. <laughs> hey, Nick. Welcome back to the pod, man. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Good man, I'm I'm happy to have you on. Um, not too often that I get to learn. Uh, not that I don't learn with other guests and things, but something I have almost uh, no idea about, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I got a feeling I'm about to learn uh, a whole heck of a lot uh, today as we get into this. Um, yeah, do you want to? Do you want to really quick just give a, a brief introduction to uh, yourself and, and kind of what you do before we jump on in?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I I appreciate you having me on again. I'm I'm excited to do this and talk to you again. Um, So my name is Nick Nick Kitlicka. I'm the shooting sports marketing manager for Leupold. I've been with the company for about 16 years now. Uh, Bumped around a bunch of different um, jobs within the company. Uh, Just started entry level in product service and now in a uh, manager role. So uh, I get to kind of be the face of the brand outwards when we're talking about uh, precision rifle shoots, events, range days, uh, any kind of shooting, tactical shooting, that kind of thing. Also, I uh, manage our pro team. I manage a lot of our uh, influencers, athletes on the shooting side. And then one of my uh, other main uh, jobs is taking that feedback that we get from the field, firsthand experience, feeding it back to the product team so that we're making, uh, good products. So it's kind of a dream job for me. I get to have a lot of fun. Uh, so (laughs) I'm, I'm pretty darn lucky.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I said it before. I mean, I don't know that there's a better job, uh, in the industry. I feel like what you get to do is kind of what I'm sure everybody imagines working in the shooting industry is like, and, I'm sure, you know, (laughs) firsthand as somebody who did all the other stuff for a while, that's not the case.
1: (laughs) No, no, I actually, I was telling my son the other day, so my son's 13, you know, he'll be working here before, you know, in a a few years. And, you know, he's like, oh, you get to do such cool stuff. I was like, yeah, once upon a time, I had to be, you know, I had the 5 a.m. to 1.30 shift. I had to get, up, I had to be at work at five and was answering phones and just, you know, in front of the computer, putting all the product in the system. It was not glamorous, that's for sure, so. You gotta, you gotta pay your dues.
0: Yeah, I mean, I kind of <laughs> like that shift. Sometimes I don't know how I would do it, like every day. But being up that early and everything oh, is kind of nice. Uh, I guess you gotta be the right uh, kind of individual to really enjoy it, though. Yeah,
1: yeah. I look back on it now, I'm like, how the heck did I do that? Oh uh, uh, Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if I could go back to that. But you know, you do what you gotta do. So.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. So what we're gonna talk about today, like I said, something I don't. Really have a whole lot of experience with, or even knowledge on, is I don't even want to yeah I don't even want to go straight into like precision shooting, but just mm-hmm. shooting at a distance, right? Because, and this is going to be released at a really good time for at least for folks here in Michigan, because rifle season for for deer hunting, or uh, that that opens up like two weeks from now, and okay, no, because I have firsthand experienced it with some some buddies of mine. People don't really understand how their scope works. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, no, it, it's I mean probably that, like, the most.
1: Yeah, oh, go ahead. I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, it's like how your reticle works. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, anyone can overlay the, you know, the 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 crosshair on the target, but they don't really understand all the data they're being given from their scope, right?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's probably one of the most misunderstood parts of shooting, um, and uh, you can go as simple as having a duplex reticle that really has no you know information in there and you can rely on uh, you know the the old trick i would say for hunters was you sighted in at uh, hundred yards because usually that's the range you know that you can be able to sight in at uh you sight in about an inch and a half high maybe two inches high of where you're actually aiming the reticle right so impact bold impacts about two inches high and then for your average hunting cartridges out to about 500 yards, you're, you're pretty much golden. So, and then we're talking, we're talking about kill zones, right? So we're talking a lot, mm-hmm. you know, a larger, a larger impact area on the animal, or maybe like you just hold, maybe if they're like 400 or so, you know, you hold the top of their back, right? That seems to be that definitely the old school way of doing things less precise, you know, for sure. Um, you know, if, if you practice with your, rifle and you kind of know its capabilities you can kind of guesstimate but i would say the trend nowadays is uh you know there's so much information out there youtube videos uh different companies have a lot of great resources information um a lot more people in the hunting space are getting on board with understanding their ballistics more using a ballistic calculator rangefinder maybe even a kestrel uh, those things that we use in the precision rifle world all the time. So I, I see a lot of crossover there. So,
0: yeah. Um, and I, so let's actually, let's get into that really quick. Cause I think some people know, are aware of a Kestrel. Some people are, are not, um, I'm sure some people think that it's not for them. What does a Kestrel do and how is it advantageous for somebody looking to make those longer shots?
1: Yeah, so your Kestrel is kind of your weather station. Uh, that's one at, uh, one feature. Uh, so you're going to get your, you can get wind speed with it. You know, it has a little uh, fan mm-hmm. on top so it can tell you wind speed. Uh, it also will give you barometric pressure, density, altitude, um, kind of temperature. So all your environmental factors that go into that ballistic calculation um and there there are kestrels that don't have ballistic solvers in them uh we we all i, I would suggest if you do go out and buy a kestrel make sure it is a, a uh, one that has uh either applied ballistics or ford off those are your two choices for ballistic uh programs in a kestrel but has one of those and then it will also do your ballistic calculations then based off those environmental factors and then uh, factors that you input, you know, what what round you're shooting, the grain of the bullet, um, all that kind of good stuff, sight height, uh, zero distance. And then it was, it's going to give give you a, a solution, right? You're going to, you'll scroll to a certain yardage and I'll say, hey, this yardage, uh, your, your um, elevation is 2.3 mils. And then it'll also give you wind too. Um, you know, you take a wind reading and it'll give you, you can wind bracket and it'll say, you know, the wind is anywhere from two tenths to four tenths, right? So it, it gives you an idea of, of what's happening.
0: So it'll it'll give you, it'll take those readings, right? And then it'll spit out mm-hmm. the data, to let you know what adjustments to make on your elevation and windage turrets to hopefully make a successful shot. Is that is that right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. It's going to give you, um, it, it's it, so we use the word "dope" a lot, right? In uh, in long range shooting and mm-hmm. uh, the data on, on previous engagement, um, it'll give you dope. It, we we call it soft dope, or I call it soft dope. I know Phil Phil Vallejo calls it that too. It's 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 his best guesstimate of what's happening, right? It's it's uh um your estimation of the ballistics and stuff but there's other environmental factors that's you know sometimes you can't account for right the kestrel might say two tenths but you're like well I took that wind reading where I'm standing and I know downrange there's uh there's like a a, a hill a hill right with an updraft and I can see the trees out there moving a lot more than it is here so the the kestrel is a tool it's not like uh, it, it's not set in stone. So you still got to use your brain. Um, it's it's the combination of I, I call it the science and the art. Right. The the ballistics and stuff is kind of the science, but the art is really reading the environment, reading what uh, your bullets actually doing in the real world, and adjusting from there. So,
0: yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. And honestly, probably something that I, I would not have thought about if I just took you know picked one <laughs> up and, uh, and tried to just read it and go oh yeah okay fine here i'll just uh click 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 here we go and why did i miss Mm -hmm. yeah
1: exactly yeah um and you know there's there's different reasons that you know the the kestrel only gives you as good of information as you put in right and we uh in the precision rifle role sometimes we call that truing our data making the data that the kestrel is giving you match up with what's actually happening downrange cool, that box of ammo I bought says my bullets going should be going 2,850 feet per second, and my ballistic coefficient is 0.264, whatever it is. Um, those numbers may not actually be correct, right? You're actually going to have to go out, you're going to have to shoot, and you're going to have to true your data to match what's happening in the real world to your orchestral. So uh, that's another step in the process there, not taking uh, the information that you get off a box or something, you know, as, uh, you know, again, set in stone. Uh, right. you, you, you do have to adjust. Every gun acts differently. I mean, from if you're shooting factory ammo, lot to lot can be different. Uh, different bullets can have different BCs. Uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of variables, let's say that go into precision shooting. And that's, that's one of the things that really attracts me to it. And it's also one of the things that's extremely frustrating a lot of the time. It's, it's, it's a,
0: it's a challenge for sure. So when we talk about things like ammo, how does, I guess, can we talk a little bit about how that impacts, you know, your results? Because. I know that there's those of us in the, I hate using this term, but like the tactical shooting space where we buy like 55 grain, five, five, six, or two, two, three. Right. Mm-hmm. And we don't give a shit about it because, you know, our, <laughs> you know, our drills or our engagements, whatever, they're going to be very short. And for the most part, we're it's, it's, it doesn't matter, but obviously shooting it at, at greater distances, trying to hit smaller targets at those distances and things, uh, hunting, Right. Your yeah. ammo becomes way, way, way more important. Um, but how so? Or can you expound on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, yeah. Just, just the. Uh, I guess. Yeah, all all the tolerances of the ammo become that much more important, like you said, uh, and that's you know that's reflected in the the cost of the ammo and the you know yeah my, my box of. Well, even let's, let's say 223 ammo, right? So my mm-hmm. box of 55 grain, you know, frontier ammo is going to be way less expensive than my uh, 77 grain Black Hills, you know, match grade uh, uh, ammo, right? And mm-hmm. like stuff I would shoot out a distance just because the manufacturing processes are completely different, uh, tighter tolerances, specs, all that kind of good stuff. Um, in the precision rifle world, uh, a lot of people reload because they like to control all those specs uh, themselves, right? They, they, they know what brass they want to use. They can reuse their brass multiple times, right? Uh, they know what primers they want to use. They know what uh, powder they want to use, bullet. So they get to basically pick all the components and tune the ammo to their gun. Um, that's like uh, load development, right? Is tuning your ammo to your gun. I have not yet gone down the reloading path. I've reloaded <laughs> multiple times. I just, I don't, I don't to have a lot of time to do it. But some of the factory ammo out there is really, really precise. Uh, I shoot Hornady, uh, uh, my, my comp gun is a six Creedmore, So six Creedmore, 108 grain ELDM. I find that that ammo shoots better than I can shoot uh if if something is screwed up downrange 99.9 percent time that's me that's not the ammo that's screwed up so um i shoot factory stuff the the cool thing um we, we start to see i started to see this more and more uh this trend is uh you know i talk about the uh the reloaders tuning their ammo to the gun you can also do it the reverse way you can actually tune your gun to the ammo so We have these things called, yep, we have these things called tuners. It's actually an old technology that old bench shooters have had for decades, but it's basically a weight system on the end of your barrel. And it's, as you rotate it, it moves, you know, further towards the action or away from the action. And basically what you're doing is you're tuning the harmonics of the barrel to the ammo that you're shooting. So that's that's a oh, wow. that's a little trick to, to get some more accuracy out of your factory ammo. If your gun is, you know, not every gun loves every ammo. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I found that Hornady stuff works pretty much in everything I put it in, but the tuner does help shrink those groups down quite a bit. So,
0: yeah. So yeah, I mean, I wow, I didn't even know that you could do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it would make sense to be able to tune the ammo, right? If you want like, a little hotter load or, or what have you, but
1: Mm-hmm.
0: never never even crossed my mind that you'd be able to kind of reverse that process uh
1: yeah yeah i just got a i i just got a new one actually i'm i, I was testing it the other day in our tunnel it's a it's a brake with a tuner on it so it's a combination so it's, it's a very aggressive uh five port break with the weight tuner on the end of it and uh it was uh it was super interesting i i love to play around with it because i would uh you know, they, they tell you in the instructions, you make very small little, uh, changes to the weight, right. Just to fine tune it. But I was like, spin that thing all the way out just to see like how far (laughs) the groups open up, you know, spin it all the way back and see, you know, where the groups go. Did they go left or right? I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty amazing. Some people say that they don't work. Uh, I I've seen them work. So, uh, I'm, I'm a believer in them. Most of my guns have tuners now.
0: on So, so when you were looking at all that and, yeah, how did you? Because this is something that's I'm I'm pretty positive it's, it's hotly debated because it is in the tactical world. And <laughs> uh, how did how did you settle on six Creedmoor for what you were going to shoot as opposed to? I mean, there's so many other options out there, right? Six five Creedmore three o eight. Um, oh yeah, and there's a whole oh,
1: yeah.
0: plethora of just other crap out that seems that, like it comes out every <laughs> other week with something new and goofy.
1: Yeah, I I tell people you know if. It, if they, if they want to start shooting long range, that uh, precision stuff, 6.5 Creedmoor is great. It's it's widely available. There's a lot of great match grade ammo out there from multiple different companies, and it's more than uh, sufficient. Uh, I, I know in the competition realm, a lot of people have moved away from it, but I've actually seen some people go back to it. They want a heavier bullet for more ma- some, uh, some of the matches out west here where it's really windy, uh, it's actually advantageous to have a heavier bullet, right? The wind's going to move that bullet less, uh, less round. Mostly in the precision rifle world, competition realm, some they're all shooting six millimeter variants, so six Creedmore, six BRA, six BR, uh, six XC. Some people still shoot six GT. I mean, the list goes on and on. So there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot there. Um, it, again, for me, I don't reload, so I wanted something factory. Uh, there's a lot of the factory six Creedmore uh, rounds out there uh, so it's easy for me to shoot and uh it it's a 108 grain bullet so it's uh it's less weight than like a six five that's usually 140 147 grain so you get less recoil um and then you it's usually a little faster right so mm-hmm. um you don't have as much uh it it, it bucks the wind better um, so you get it's a good combination there um then the name of the game in the precision rifle world is uh recoil management right because you you don't have a spotter you are shooting yourself so you have to shoot and then you have to be able to see what happens downrange. you see these people shooting maybe a, a hotter caliber and a lightweight gun and they get knocked off the scope, right? And you don't have any idea what happened in a range. So the yeah. idea is to make the make the rifle move as less, you know, move the least amount as possible, which is hard sometimes because we shoot off some weird barriers and tractors and tires and all this weird shit. Um, but uh, that's, that's uh,
0: a good definitely... a good consideration for anybody thinking about hunting, though, too. Because I'll tell you, the first time I ever shot something over a five five six was mm-hmm. out of my my buddy's Ruger American lightweight with like a six <laughs> yeah. inch barrel and it's yeah. a 308 gun <clears throat> and i did not enjoy it i didn't I, <laughs> I mean i really was not ready for that and uh yeah. said, like, well I, I got the lightweight one so i can you know it's it's more convenient when i'm climbing up into my tree stand or you know hiking yeah. out to wherever my blind is and it's like yeah but what are you giving up for that you know it's it, mm-hmm. yeah there, there, know,
1: there's, there's a there's a there's trade-offs right with everything and uh personally for my hunting guns my hunting guns are around mm, 12 to 13 pounds ish around there so they're not they're not lightweight and they'll have uh some a break on it or most likely a suppressor with some sort of port system, uh, like a KGM or something like that, oh, yeah. uh, to to make it more manageable. The I, I didn't mention before, you know, talking about all the precision rifle stuff. There's also uh, NRL hunter matches, which some of you guys might have heard of. So those are precision rifle matches that are designed more to replicate hunting situations, and those. Um, there's a couple different divisions, and those are based on rifle weight. So, like in the PRS world, some people will weigh down their rifles. They'll put a bunch of weights on them, and the gun will weigh 24, 25 pounds. Right? That gun is not moving at all. Right? Yeah. When you shoot it, but you know, an NRA hunter, I think lightweight division is up to 14 pounds, and heavy division's up to 18 pounds. So, um, that, that's can you build a rifle that is you know medium weight? We'll call it medium weight. Uh, mm-hmm. and still be able to manage that recoil and shoot little targets effectively. So yeah, there's there's some points of dwindling returns there. I, I don't I personally would never carry like a six pound rifle or something around and you know um, in some magnum caliber or something like that. Uh, I would I would go with a little bit more gun weight and it's going to be easier to shoot. Also for new shooters, like you talking about shooting that American, uh, Ruger American there, um, mm-hmm. If you don't if you don't like shooting the gun, you're going to uh, it's going to affect your precision, right, and how you shoot. You're going to be anticipating that recoil, and you're going to and anticipation just like you know from shooting handguns and carbines, right? Yep. You see someone shoot a handgun and they're uncomfortable, and what do they do, right? They dip the barrel because they're anticipating that mm-hmm. uh, that 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 explosion happening in their hands. Same thing happens with rifles you're anticipating that you're like, Oh shit, this thing's going to really come back and hit me and I'm not going to be able to yep. control it. And your, your position's going to, you're, you're going to flinch. Right. And you know, Oh, I've seen it happen time to time. And you shoot over the deer's back or under its belly or something. And, uh, you know, uh, I rather again, have a little bit heavier gun that I just feel more comfortable shooting. And I know, okay, when I put the reticle there, it's going to go exactly there. Cause I'm not worried about the, we got beating me up.
0: Yeah, and I actually wish I would have gone a little bit heavier. Even Um, I picked up a it's a Weatherby Vanguard in six five Creedmoor, um, mm-hmm. and it's not tremendously heavy, but it's definitely heavier than that that lightweight uh, Ruger American. Um, and I was actually looking at like a Remington seven hundred with a bull barrel uh, originally. Mm-hmm. My buddy talked to me out of. He said, like, "Oh, it's gonna be so heavy. You're not gonna want to carry that thing. It's gonna be awful." So I was like, oh, okay, well I then I won't go with that. And now looking back on it, I kind of wish that I would have just because you know, that a little more stability, it's going to help with the recoil a little bit and I'm, you mm-hmm. know, if I bang it off something, I'm not going to feel so bad about what happens, but um yeah, I think that people you don't realize when you go into weight reduction you are giving some things up, you know, uh, even in the, the tactical competition shooting world, right. Guys with like pencil barrels, they're super thin and they're super lightweight and it's awesome. And the hand guards are lightweight and you don't realize like the durability that you're sacrificing, um, or even how sensitive those are. If you knock them off something, like it can just screw up everything and all in the name of weight savings. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. you were right. Right. Or yeah. Specifically talk about the pencil barrels too. Like if you shoot those things like aggressively, they heat Mm -hmm. up a lot and they're going to start walking on you and they're going to, they're going to move around. So there's a lot, not a lot of material there. So that's another, another consideration to think about.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, I've had people ask me about uh, building rifles or switching out parts and things like that. I, I, I never recommend it. I, I feel like the people that are really in the market for a pencil barrel are probably people that know what they're doing and need the weight reduction and the weight savings or something and maybe there's building mm-hmm. a rifle for like their kid, you know, who can't hold it up and you know because they're like 10 or something. I don't know. Um yeah. Or
1: or they're going to sure. go or they're going to go shoot a three gun match too. Which is totally fine. Like and again, yeah. the barrel's going to heat up. The barrel's going to heat up a little bit, but you're shooting shooting cardboard target a zones at you know 15 yards or something like that so you're not really super concerned about like uh uh precision and groups and that kind of stuff i totally agree that so it's that it's application right right tool for the job
0: yeah absolutely and i i think if more people look at it that way you know kind of and i've talked about this with other subjects as well but work backwards from the problem instead of starting with you know this is i want a light gun and i want a big scope and i want and i want and then by the time you finish the the build or the project or the idea you're not you didn't arrive at the point that you thought you did even you mm-hmm. have a rifle and it can do some pretty cool stuff but it's not going to be built for you know what you're looking for and working yep. backwards you might find some things like you know if you're new to it you don't know what you don't know so hey, <laughs> uh, super lightweight gun probably not going to be the best thing. No, you know? I,
1: I t- man, the first time I showed up at a at a uh, precision rifle match, I brought a. Uh, I, I just I was so excited. I brought this long gun that I just built. It was uh, uh, just a Remington 700 action that kind of had been blueprinted or you know uh, finished a little bit nicer. So nice Mm -hmm. and smooth i had a a proof research barrel carbon fiber barrel on now it was a straight taper bull barrel big barrel but still carbon fiber so pretty light and a aluminum chassis that was pretty light and uh the gun probably weighs you know 11 12 pounds and then i get out there and all these guys are walking around with guns that are like 18 20 22 pounds (laughs) i was like holy shit i was like I was like, why do you guys need such a heavy gun? And then I shot the match and I was like, oh, duh. Okay, you don't, know what, you, you don't know what you don't know, yeah? Yeah, yeah learn the hard becomes, way. Oh, yeah, and I've seen <clears> it happen <throat> a lot. I love, uh, you know, one of one of my things I get to do is I get to take a lot of people who work at Loophole, maybe they have hunted all their life and they have never gone out to a match, you know, and we go out and we shoot a match together and then they come back and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I understand it now, I get it. <laughs> so
0: yeah. No, I mean, yeah. experience is the best teacher and that's, you know, it's, I, I feel like some people take like a, uh, like a prototypical, like blueprint concept of what a hunting rifle should be, because that's what their uncle had or their, mm-hmm. their dad or something like, Oh, I just need a three Oh eight it needs to be a bolt action, obviously. And I don't need anything more than a three to nine optic, no illumination and like a basic duplex reticle. And I'm good. You don't need anything else other than that. And right. then those, you know, if they end up liking hunting and they have a couple of friends like this uh, in that scenario, right? Like, Oh yeah, I'd love to go out West and go, you know, elk hunting or, or, you know, or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Not realizing that that setup is not really going to work, especially if you're taking those longer shots. Um,
1: you know, yeah, no.
0: like, like, let's think about this. Right. have you ever taken a shot longer than 75 yards when you've been out deer hunting you see these guys on tv that take these you know 300 yard shots and it's great sometimes you know i will give a couple of them like uh the meat eater show like they actually show their misses and stuff too which is cool uh Mm -hmm. those guys aren't rocking a three to nine man like they 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 built their their setup to go out there and hunt those large areas at a distance and to understand how it's going to work. Like, yeah, maybe something worth considering.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it, it's a big consideration And you're right. Your, your white tail hunting is much different from your elk uh, mule deer, blacktail stuff, you know, out West. So uh, I, I have seen the trend more and more uh, people in, you know, uh, the Southeast white tail or, or whatever they build, they're building guns that are more capable right for those longer ranges Will will they work and you know can you can you slam a deer at 75 yards with it absolutely but it's also going to work when i take it out you know to uh the, the west you know so um and we have uh, a multitude of scopes that work really, really well for that, like a, a VX5 3 to 15 or something like that. So you get down to three power all the way up to 15 power. You're allowed to take care of pretty much any hunting situation uh, that you can think of. So um, there, there's a lot more gear out there that's being tailored towards that versatility of being able to do all that stuff um one one thing i know too we were i just uh want to mention it to viewers a lot of people don't actually know this you were talking about like building like an ar or something like purpose built like that Mm -hmm. building a bolt gun is actually easier than an ar uh they've made it easier than an ar these days Uh, which yeah which blows people's minds because they're like ah it's a precision rifle like that's really like if you buy an action uh like a um like a defiance okay Devi- uh a defiance ruckus is a uh fail a failure uh, uh ugh, i can't talk fairly uh inexpensive custom you know custom grade action uh there's a lot of barrel makers that make pre-fit barrels for it so a pre-fit barrel already is threaded already has all everything done to it you just thread it into the barrel uh or excuse me thread it into the action torque it down and then the action is a seven Remington 700 footprint that fits into a multitude of different chassis that people make, wow, you know, yeah. Yeah. um, uh, and it only, it's two bolts. So, uh, Oh, well you got to put the trigger on there. Uh, installing a trigger on a, on a rifle is extremely easy. It's usually two pins. You put two pins in there, two bolts, hold it to the action or, uh, hold the action to the stock and away you go. It's at, literally, we've we've had races at work where we are we have all these parts because we're building up these guns you can literally put a gun together in like 10 minutes like it's it's super simple so
0: yeah i'm like yeah i had no <laughs> idea you could do it i mean i would have i would have because i had actually looked at trying to rebarrel my uh weatherby just something like a, a bull barrel something a little bit more just like robust right and mm-hmm. i had not dug into it super deep but it didn't seem like there were a ton of options. Um, and I kind of just gave up on it. It was like, eh, you know, whatever I didn't, I didn't realize there was that much out there in terms of being able to build like a precision rifle. I guess that's just my ignorance. Yeah. No.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, for a for a Weatherby Vanguard like that, there might not be prefits just mm-hmm. because they don't suspect that anyone is going to rebarrel that, right? So, for something like that, you definitely would have to go to a gunsmith, and they you could get a new barrel for it, and the gunsmith would have to spin it up for you and do the sure. uh, the threading and the head spacing and all that. But there are a lot of there are a lot of solutions out there where you can buy the action, buy the barrel. Uh, Proof Research has a great um, selection of carbon and steel barrels that are pre-fit and uh that that again just thread right into the action and torque it down and away you go it's already head spaced it's already measured everything's good to go it's it's it, it's actually very easy like after doing that like like rebuilding an ar i'm like oh this is way more complicated <laughs> so yeah
0: i was gonna say i know the trigger assembly on an ar is more of, it may not be more complicated but it is more of a pain in the ass just because of the springs and everything
1: well, it's, it's, yeah, it's a pain in, the ass, pain in the ass. And then you're like, did I get the right length gas tube? Or am I getting too much oh, gas flow yeah. back? Uh, is my, um you know, the right spring for the buffer? Is the buffer, do I need an H2 or an H3? I don't know. Or like, there's all these things. Like, there's very limited moving parts in a bolt gun. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit less to worry about there. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So getting into, the the glass itself right and the the optic Mm -hmm. piece of this where do you where where do you start with folks because i know that there's i mean there's almost as many reticles out there i feel like as there are like goofy calibers for precision shooting right like everybody wants to have the new like hottest reticle that that makes the most amount of data or something right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah reticles start
1: yeah, ret- reticle choice is one of those things that can be really overwhelming at first because, again, there are so many options out there. And it really is a tool, again, just application-based, right? And so that's what I'm going to ask someone. I'm going to be like, hey, what are you going to do with this rifle? Do you want to shoot competitions with it? Are you trying to hunt with it? You know, what, what are you trying to do? Um, what happens a lot, I would say, from maybe more of your – listener base right who's maybe not familiar with the long range stuff but you know they're uh familiar with the tactical side right and you know Mm -hmm. they're like they've heard like oh i need a a trimmer three right that's a that's a tactical reticle that the military uses or a h-59 uh, a horus 59 is another grid style reticle that the military uses um i see a lot of people show up with those those are very very capable reticles they're very if You've never looked through a grid reticle before, they can be a little overwhelming because it is a lot of information. Um, but they were purpose built for shooting uh man sized targets, right? That's that's mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they were they were on it, that, yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. their job, right? And you see people show up to a precision rifle match with them, um, and have a difficult time because we're shooting you know, little plates and little discs, very small targets, not man sized targets. And uh, it, it's almost like the reticle covers up too much, right. Of the, uh, of, of what's happening downrange, It's, it's maybe harder to put more of a precise shot.
0: And that's, that's actually why I switched off the one that I had on my rifle was because it just covered up. <clears throat> it was like a, I don't know, like a four MOA dot or something with like a, Know, like 50 something or 60 something MOA ring, but then it also it was a it's a Vortex strike eagle, right? So it has some yeah, elements yeah. of like the the Christmas tree, if you will, kind of there, but like that that Eotech esque illuminated reticle in there, I just did not like that it took up so much of the target. Um, and I switched to a vortex viper PST. So I think it basically it has pretty close to a duplex reticle, it's got some. Uh, additional markings and stuff, but it's not mm-hmm. not nearly as busy, and I actually prefer that.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Maybe more like a TMR reticle is what it is, you know. Or, or there's a lot of variances off the TMR, which is basically just a crosshair with hash marks uh, mm-hmm. up and down. So you have some yeah. information, uh, but you have a lot of open space. So that's kind of the counterpoint to the full-on grid reticles and. Again, like this, there is no right or wrong answer here. I, I have pro shooters on my team who there's, there's one guy, he still loves the H59 that's all he shoots. He shot that when he was a Marine scout sniper and he still shoots it in competition and he doesn't want to change and God bless him. He's going to keep shooting it. That's fun. Uh And I got other shooters who do shoot like uh, our, we call it a PR one. It's kind of like a TMR reticle. Uh, with limited, very limited information, and do really well with it. So again, it's just what you are comfortable with. I like the PR2 reticle, so it's a loophole specific reticle, uh, and it's in that Christmas tree reticle family. So that's kind of the in between between a grid and a more simplistic TMR, um, maybe more like that Strike Eagle one that you talked about that kind of has some <laughs> information cascading out, you know, from the middle. Um, But it's not a ton of information. Uh, It's not a full on grid. uh, But you have enough for accurate holdovers, accurate wind holds, uh, and still being able to see a lot of what's happening downrange. That's, that's one thing in the precision rifle world that a lot of people don't like about those grid reticles is, again, it covers up too much. Like if, if I miss It might that miss might be covered up by some line intersection somewhere that I I I couldn't see it because again the reticle was so busy so um,
0: yeah
1: our PR two reticle has been I would say ninety five percent of my protein that's what they run Um, a lot pretty much everyone shooting a Mark Five at a competition that's what they run Um, it's uh, it's it's really advantageous very uh, fine lines with open brackets so the lines don't meet. Um you have these open spots. So you're able to hold, put the target within the um the the spaces in between the lines and bracket. Oh, okay. And it's uh it's it's very, very precise.
0: Yeah. I wow, okay. Yeah, I didn't even think about something like that. Um, I honestly I have not looked at a ton of precision um mm-hmm. oriented reticles just because I don't I don't do precision shooting, but that makes right. more sense when you start to see some of these broken up uh you know, reticles, these different ideas and things. And, uh, me, when folks are looking at it. Yeah. Why, um,
1: you know, uh, ju- uh, another, what. exactly, exactly. And another thing too, is like, um, maybe coming from someone who's, you know, using a LPVL, like you're using a one to six or a one to eight or something is like a, a BDC reticle versus like a grid mill reticle. What are the, what are the differences there? So like when I'm talking about a mill, grid reticle, those are in mill increments. It's not calibrated to any specific ballistic, um, uh, any round or anything like that. A ballistic reticle is, again, it's going to be calibrated for, well, um, usually in our space, right? It's going to be a 5.56 five, or a 7.62, right? That's what that, that reticle is going to be. It's going to have holdovers or drops uh, kind of at yardages or, or meters for that round so uh you know this hash mark here is 200 meters i know that's my hold for my for my uh, 556 five, right so mm-hmm. there 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 are advantages to that absolutely uh and then there are also disadvantages so you know uh, uh, you're not always shooting the same ammo you know i would say from the, from the military world right it probably makes more sense Everyone, you know, everyone in your unit is shooting the same weapon system with the same ammo, and everything's the same, right? uh But yeah, right. out here in the real world, there's so many variables that go into it. Sometimes those ballistic vehicles don't match up exactly with your weapon system or with your round that you're shooting. um they, They're good solutions if you're not worried about like super precise shots. If you just like maybe gonna walk it in a little bit, right at some distance, but uh, um, there there are some Um, cons to it also
0: yeah and it and it it highlights the importance of paying attention when you regardless of the rifle and i'm only saying this because i've i've had this happen to me um when you go to the store whether it's your like local cabela's or something your local gun shop what have you like know what you're looking for i mean if you in fact are going in to buy you know a scope and you know it's what you want like know what you're looking for and the why behind it, you know, there may be a a line of scopes that look exactly the same that are just calibrated to different reticles or in my case um, I did not check the box when the guy gave it to me and Mm. uh, definitely brought home a uh, mill reticle instead of a MOA and uh, I'm not great with MOA and I'm way, 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 way worse with mills uh, or emrads i'm sorry uh and i uh, super i was super pissed um i'm like hey this isn't what i asked for i had to go back and exchange it It was this whole thing uh oh, geez. yeah and that was i don't even know if we talked about this the, the last time you were on but basically i took it back to get sighted because i didn't really know any better and the guy wound up putting so much damn blue loctite on it, it was almost leaking into the action Um, Oh
1: yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: On a gun that that had never, it had never been fired. I was super livid. I'm like, I came in here, I dropped a thousand dollars on an optic and this is what you guys did to my gun. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No. Yeah. Knowing doing some research ahead of time absolutely will save you a lot of headaches uh, down the road for sure. And, um, you know, going to, uh, maybe even like taking a class or something like that if you can do that before ahead of time try some different stuff if that's uh, if that's a possibility uh something like that so yeah no the makes a big difference right getting a if you're more comfortable with moa or mill uh i will say in the precision rifle world 95 percent of us all shoot mills that's all um yeah, um, yeah so uh, there are some moa shooters out there again it's just it, it's what you're comfortable with. Uh, it's two ways of measuring the same thing. It's an angular unit of measurement. Uh, it's just one is uh, a little more uh, finite than the other. Actually, um, for it's a <laughs> something that people don't realize a one-tenth mil uh, that click is actually a, a bigger adjustment than a quarter MOA. Uh, a quarter MOA click at a hundred yards is uh, or at any distance is actually a more It's a smaller movement of the reticle, more precise. That's why, like, if uh, if I was going to go shoot a match, and I'm sitting next to someone shooting, and we both have to dial to this target that's 500 yards, uh, my dial on my mill adjustment up top, I'm going to have I'm I'm going to go uh, much fewer clicks than the MOA shooter. The MOA shooter is going to have to turn that dial a lot more to get to that same yardage, um, um, we could be shooting the same exact caliber, uh, but they would just have to, uh, dial a lot more. So that's, that's one advantage that mill has, I would say over MOA, it's a lot quicker, uh, for, for dialing. So
0: see, I would have thought it would have been the other way around just because I, <clears throat> and again, with my limited knowledge, right. That mills was a smaller adjustment. Therefore it would be more, it would be more clicks
1: yeah um, yeah no you, well, you think you know a tenth is smaller than a quarter right uh, yeah but again we're we're talking metric to inches so you know at a uh at 100 yards an moa is just about an inch we'll call it an inch mm-hmm. and uh, a mill is 3.6 inches so um it's uh it's a it's a bigger bigger amount at 100 yards so
0: yeah, uh, yeah you know okay that <laughs> when you actually look at the math on it yeah okay that makes more sense then yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So when you're teaching, you know, new shooters uh taking them out for the first time, explaining all of this to them and how far into that do you do you really get with understanding you know the math behind some of this uh the the calculations kind of like what you just went through like hey, when you're sighting mm-hmm. in, you know, MOA versus mrad and uh and everything we just we just mentioned here a moment ago. How far do you get into that and, and how advanced advantageous is it really for new shooters to, to really, I mean, it, you should know it, right. But where does that kind of fall in the hierarchy of learning to shoot at a distance?
1: No. Yeah. We, we spend, we spend a good amount of time on it. Um, you know, sometimes classes, you know, you'll get there and, um, your, your zero session, right. Where you're zeroing the guns and getting them all set up that can actually take majority of the day because we are, we are going to spend the time to really get you to understand what's happening. Cause I, I want the shooter to understand why not just like, Oh, I'm supposed to do this and do this, but I don't really know why I'm supposed to do that. Uh, you gotta, you gotta understand the why and trust me, I am no, mathematical genius at all <laughs> actually that's probably my worst subject and uh, it's it can seem intimidating at first because it is a lot of numbers but it's actually fairly simple once you break it down and um, especially like using using your reticle right when you're zeroing and stuff like that uh, your reticle is again it's just a, it's it's a tool it's actually a tape measure inside of your scope that you can use to measure things. And if you understand those measurements and what those increments mean, it makes corrections and adjustments so much easier. And if if you can't do that at hundred yards when we're zeroing in and starting, you're not gonna be able to do it at distance. So, um, uh, plus, you know, not only are we gonna dive into all the numbers, but then your, your fundamentals too, right? All the the trigger press, uh, getting the the rifle set up for you, all that kind of stuff. Because again, we're just building the base of knowledge, right? Uh, so that you can be successful when you start reaching out. Because um, yeah, compounding, right? Things compound at distance. If your numbers are a little off, or your calculations are a little off, or your uh, if your position is a little off, yeah, okay. At a hundred yards, you can maybe you know get away with it at a thousand yards and trying to shoot a mile. Yeah, no way. All that stuff's got to be dialed in. Right. So now it's, uh, we, we, we dive into it quite a bit.
0: Yeah. And that's actually, uh, the last class I took, uh, zeroing did take uh, a little bit longer than I think everyone planned. And unfortunately it was for me. (laughs) Um, my, uh, I, I believe what we diagnosed the issue to be was, uh, I think it was, I was compensating for an improper trigger pull by mm-hmm. adjusting my zero. And it dude I was like, I, I was way off, like 12 clicks mm. to the left, like off. Oh. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah. It was pretty horrendous. um and, and when we got down on the bench and I mean, and in context, we ran the drills, like no problems, but uh, I mean, that again, that was after we zeroed it. So, I mean, who knows what would have actually happened, but, um, yeah. And that's, that's a process, you know, like, I am really bad at zeroing. It's something that I just, I haven't worked a ton at. I probably should have, um, yeah. and just understanding, yeah. you know, what the target is telling you. Cause I have some of those targets out there, right. Where you have point of aim, point of impact at an indoor range, right. Short distances. Mm. Um, yep. And being able to respond accordingly and really understand. So, uh, let that just highlight for everybody listening to this the importance of getting actual instruction. Um, otherwise, you probably won't get it right. Or, I mean, at least I did. I have no problems admitting that. Like I, I have hey, faults. You're,
1: <laughs> you're 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 not alone. And you know what? Shooting shooting off a bench or shooting just you know at a hundred yards, shooting groups isn't sexy. It isn't high speed. It isn't cool. But I tell you what, that that's again the fundamentals. That's that's like um, that's like dry fire practice in your room all the time, right? That's the stuff that is a little boring, but man, it uh, it pays uh, dividends in the long run. And uh, shooting groups is a skill. Like it it it, it's hard. Like you know, I I tell people all the time, like it's okay, cool. You got a. uh, you got a loophole Mark five HD, you know, a high performance skill. You got a, you know, sub half MOA rifle. Cool. You got all this cool gear. That doesn't mean you're going to be able to shoot half nope. minute, you know, 0. 0.3 mil groups, right. Or 0. 0.3 MOA groups. Like it, 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 it is a skill and you do have to practice it. Um, I use the analogy. I, uh, like I, I used to play basketball in high school, uh, uh, you know, I haven't played basketball for, for like five years. I can't go out and just start shooting three pointers and like expect to like. Well, uh, I'm you know I can I know how to do that. I still it doesn't got work it. that yeah. way. No. I still got <laughs> it. No, it doesn't work that way. So it's a perishable skill. You got to work out it. And even long guns, right? So, um, you know, we talk about um, uh, all the fundamentals, of the trigger press. Uh, you know, ha- having your rear a, a good support rear bag and using that rear bag, um, effectively, that's a huge one too. Uh, and then, just, you know, the breathing and, um, ah, there's so many variables that go into, uh, go into shooting. So it's, um, but you know, that's the fun part too. I think. for me, so.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's the, <clears throat> it's the journey, not just the, yeah, just, it is just the journey. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and yeah, that's something it, that it I is, think people lose because they just want to be able to achieve right they just want to be able to do the thing they don't it's almost like you kind of miss some of the uh i don't want to say the beauty of it but like you you miss the experience by just being so hyper focused on like i just want to be good you know yeah yes yeah, yeah you miss the detail and the 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 real understanding that comes from failure and learning
1: yeah no i I, <laughs> I had that discussion the other day we were at the range and we were uh um we uh periodically take uh like some of our departments internal departments out to shoot so yeah. the the accounting the accounting department was out uh, actually shooting your people you know my um, people so yeah, <laughs> your, yeah your, your people so uh the we took the accounting and and one of the guys was like why don't you guys have any steel out here like i want to shoot steel i just want to go fast we're like yeah we're like that like the steel is cool and it's fast and you know the same thing with long guns like it's cool shooting steel and like getting the ding like at you know 600 yards but like the paper tells you the truth. Like that's the work. Like you gotta you gotta mm-hmm. put in the work and the fundamentals on the paper because that's gonna actually tell you what re- is really happening. And uh, y- and you know that from shooting handgun and carbine, right? But one hundred and ten percent the same on on long gun too. You, you you gotta sit down. You gotta shoot groups. You gotta uh, you gotta analyze. You gotta be critical of yourself, right? And you, you gotta practice those things that you're just not good at, um, which sucks sometimes for me. Uh, My big one is uh, shooting uh, support side on a rifle. So um, uh, so shooting left-handed instead of right-handed. I am so right-eye dominant that trying to get my left eye aligned with the scope I look like I'm having a seizure on the freaking rifle half the time, trying to get my, (laughs) trying to get my eye aligned. Yeah. It's 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 funny
0: you bring that up because I had a buddy give me shit for, I was dry practicing that and I put a video up of it and some, you know, and good dude and everything He's like, I don't know. do you really think that's a valuable use of your time and everything? And I'm like, well, I mean, it's not like at the top of my list, but I definitely think there's value there. I mean, you you need to be able to use both hands and, Uh, preferably both eyes effectively um you're not used to doing it like it's it's kind of a mind fuck oh 100 110
1: yeah and and not just long gun like uh you know that the application for long gun is more a competition based on but i would say for carbines and stuff like that too like man being able to shoot support side like okay you come up to a wall, you got, you, you got concealment or cover, whatever, and you got to come out. Like if you aren't comfortable, like are you going to like lean all the way out and try to shoot right handed or are you comfortable enough that you can switch to left hand so you can, you know, not um, present as much of your, your body, you know, from the other side. So there's, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, there it's again, It's another tool in your toolbox for sometime when, you may need it right so there's there's yeah. nothing wrong with practicing that
0: well and i can <clears throat> i can also say you know in i've only been in a couple like a couple of classes but when we get into transitions and support hand shooting is usually a when you see the the, the largest decline in performance so not only mm-hmm. accuracy but uh you know like cadence of fire and it's also when fra- i mean the. It's when you see the most negligent discharges because people start focusing only on speed to try and get caught up, right? And they forget things like you know, uh the safety manipulation, your basic, you know, uh rules and safety, like hey, I'm gonna keep my finger off the trigger till I'm ready to go. That's mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that gets missed, and it's always during the support the support side shooting stuff. And you know, no, it's I mean you may use it more in competition if it's, you know, how they're, they're designing that course of fire or whatever have you Mm -hmm. And in the real Mm -hmm. world, obviously a bit of a different discussion, but I mean, you just said it, like if you have the scenario where you face, Hey, do I want to lean all of my body out there to try and get my right, my right hand and my right shoulder and my right eye out there, or do I want to try and minimize exposure? Use my left side. Here we go. Like, yeah, there's again, maybe not the you're not the top of the list. It's probably not the most uh applicable thing you could work on, but there's definitely value there. And I've also heard some people say too, like, if you want to get better at shooting your right hand, get get better at shooting your left. And I, I guess there's some science behind that that like it, it, it helps. Uh I don't know if that's actually true. I haven't really done it enough to measure that, but if it is, then there you go. Right.
1: Yeah. I I I mean the makes makes total sense to me so
0: yeah and you know i just because you're not going to use something a ton i don't think it's a good reason like not to uh (laughs) not to work on
1: it yeah it's a it's a good reason up until that time when you actually need it so yeah
0: (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) definitely um so getting back into well getting back to some some optics related questions right is there a standard that you recommend to people that are looking to get into, let's say if, you know, uh, hunting, right. I want something that's versatile. I want something that's going to be effective. Um, but not necessarily maybe like more than I need, but going to be easy for me to use. Is there, is it really the three to nine scope with the, the duplex reticle? Is that really kind of the benchmark or is that kind of an outdated idea?
1: I I mean, <laughs> It's not an outdated idea. I mean, we still sell a ton of three to nine by forties. And again, like again, application, right? If you are just going to put together an inexpensive hunting rifle and you're going to be in the southeast shooting whitetail, I mean, they're it, three to nines by forties been killing deer down there, you know, for fifty <laughs> plus years, right? Yeah. So, yeah. um, um, they work. But, um, again, I just like, I. I I go more towards a route of versatility. So like our, you know, like a three to 15 or a three to 18, or even a, a two to 10 or something like that. Uh, just a little more versatility on the magnification ranges. Once you get up a little bit Then that, you know, uh, full transparency, that really is the growth that we've seen in our product line, right. Is going towards those in, in the hunting realm, that VX5 HD, uh, VX6 HD, that, uh, that level of uh, scope so um the the other thing to take into account and, and the big uh you know uh thing when we're talking about optics is rear focal versus front focal you know for hunting or shooting purposes you can do both with the you know you can do both with both but uh um the right tool for the job i would say the majority of hunters still use rear focal meaning that your reticle does not shrink or grow as you mm-hmm. turn your magnification right which is nice when you're on a lower power and um, maybe it's a darker area and you want a, a big you know a big aiming spot uh, you still have a big reticle in your field view. Um, in the competition world and I'd say 99.9% of us all use front focal meaning that the the reticle shrinks and grows as we turn the power selector. The main benefit of that is that we're using reticles that have measurements and those measurements stay the same at every magnification because again, that, that reticle is, is shrinking and growing. Um, a lot of people use front focal, uh, scopes for hunting too. Actually the, the Mark 5 HD, the 3.6 to 18, that has been a really, really popular hunting scope. Uh, it wasn't designed for hunting necessarily, but uh, it's, it's compact, it's lightweight, 3.6 to 18 power. And honestly, if I'm shooting like precision rifle all the time and I'm comfortable with that reticle, I know Mm -hmm. I can shoot a eight inch plate at 800 yards with it. Like there's no reason I'm not going to use it out hunting. Right. And that's, that's, that's what I'm comfortable with. So, uh, again, just personal preference. Um, uh, yeah, so that, that's another big, uh, question that people have about optics but when they start getting into that long range stuff what which one should i get so if you're gonna do if you want to get both or if you want to do both you want to shoot precision long range and you're going to hunt i would probably favor you towards a front focal option
0: yeah i would i would say if you're if you're concerned at all about you know precision um that front focal plane is it's going to cost more But it's going to give you better performance, you know, Um, which for a lot of us and that hang around the LPVOs and stuff, it's less of an issue just because we're only usually talking about six or eight time magnification. Um, But yeah, if you're looking, you know, higher than that, six to 24 or some of those things, it makes a lot more sense. You're shooting a lot further, and precision is, I mean, whether it's military level shooting right again trying to take out man-sized targets or uh precision shooting in a, in a competition right you're going to want that accuracy of data uh that will hopefully then reflect in a, an accuracy of of performance um and it, it's it's the the price of entry you know unfortunately like optics <laughs> yeah and, yeah uh, the, buy a shitty one see. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah that's uh uh People unfortunately pay the price a lot of time when that when that happens. Uh wh- one question I do get about that, like the front focal versus rear focal. They're like, why does the front focal cost so much more? Like it's actually just the physical nature of what's happening inside the scope. Like a rear focal reticle is actually a much larger diameter just because of where it sits in the optical system, as opposed to a front focal. A front focal reticle is actually twice as small uh, as a uh, uh rear focal so when you when you go down in size and up in complexity uh um, um, meaning that those f- front focal reticles are uh generally glass and they're going to have some sort of pattern on there this the the, the price goes up so that is it is what it is
0: now do you guys get <clears throat> with the front focal like do you and precision shooting do you guys get illumination or is that something that's generally not necessarily needed as much in like the competition yeah. world.
1: Yeah, no, most of us don't run illumination. I don't run illumination on any of my rifles. Um it, it, there are more and more um uh, nighttime competitions popping up where it, it's uh either the targets are lit or you are using thermal or night vision or something like that. Um, so, uh, I, that's where that big benefit is with the illuminated reticles, right? Super low light condition where I can't really see the target or the target is illuminated, uh, but not a lot, you know, I would, I would want a uh, illuminated illuminate reticle, but for what we're doing, um, you know, we're shooting during the day and it's bright outside. Usually, um, uh, the non-illuminated reticles is just fine, but we do make Illuminated reticles in all the the Mark Five HD lines, so there are there are options out there.
0: I mean, the the concept of shooting honestly at a distance at night, it's it sounds really difficult, but it actually also sounds really freaking cool. <laughs> like,
1: dude, the, the one of the most fun times I ever had is we were shooting at night and we just we wanted to see how far out we could get. I think we got out to about fifteen hundred yards and uh, shooting. Yeah, shooting. Uh, uh, with a, a PVS thirty and a, a, a Islid, which is like a infrared illuminator, uh, it mm-hmm. dude, it is so much fun. I I I wish I had the money to have that stuff.
0: Uh, so yeah. As I say, uh, once you get a night vision, you're 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 talking like a couple scopes to pay for some of that night vision uh, technology. Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. But once you go out and do it, once you go out and shoot like a target at distance at night. You're just like, all right, like, uh, what can I sell or mortgage to pay for this? Yeah, it's okay. Cool. <laughs> the wheels
0: start turning, like, what do I need to do? Which <laughs> mortgage do I need yeah. to donate to
1: uh, <laughs> Exactly, to yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I've seen, uh, and I've seen, because we're kind of talking about the competition piece of this, I've seen some of your videos on, on social media and stuff with a little bit of like movement back and forth from like a barricade to a table or a bench or something like that. <clears throat> is that something that's pretty common in the precision uh, shooting realm with like adding movement and, and complexities and things like this? Um, is that, is that like a new, is that a standard? Is that new? I mean, I feel like when we, we talk yeah. about precision shooting, everyone just assumes you guys are shooting like, a poker chip at a thousand yards or something.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, a a lot of people think they have this kind of old school thought of what it's like, right? Like, Oh, you guys are just shooting off benches or you're just laying down prone and shooting. And there, there are shooting applications that are just that, right. Uh, An F class match, which is a thousand yard shooting match where they are literally shooting just off a bench or something like that, or your standard 600 yard competition where you're just laying prone and shooting. It, it's not uh, what i do is not any of that i that's that's cool but it's not for me i um you know i uh my background growing up is i skated and snowboarded growing up a lot so <laughs> i like moving around uh i like the action part of it and that's what prs precision rifle nrl hunter it's all movement and it's all um yeah it, it's uh now you could go to a match and maybe there are a couple stages that are just prone where you're just laying down and engaging different targets. But the majority of stages, of course, as a fire involves some sort of movement um, could be anywhere, you know, the, the East coast shooting is a little faster. Their style of shooting where you could have like one target at 400 yards and you have 10 positions on this barricade that you have to get to. So I gotta, I gotta get the 10 different spots, build a position, shoot that target and move like really quick. Um, or it could be, You know, I have three targets and two different positions and I got to shoot, you know, each target twice, you know, at those two different positions, something like that. Um, There's a whole bunch of very, that is the cool thing is it's always different. It's up to the match director and it's up, you know, the terrain or what, um, what props they have that you can shoot off of. Um, It's different every time you go to a match and shoot. And it's also... Up to you how you shoot it, right? Now the, the the they'll give you like the stage brief and they'll say, okay, you got to shoot the targets in this order, and you know you got to shoot these positions. But a lot of time there's um, the opportunity to shoot it the way you want to shoot it. You know, it could be like using a different piece of gear or using a slightly different position on the obstacle than everyone else was using. So there's kind of like some individuality to it, too which is mm-hmm. one of the things that is really attractive uh, for me.
0: That sounds so much cooler than what, uh, I mean, I, what, I'm i sure most of us had the concept in our head. Like you said, like the old school, like bench shooting, where it's just like who can hit the smallest target at the greatest distance. Like, I mean, cause you're still shooting small targets, right? You're just doing it while moving a lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We're just moving. Yeah. We're just moving a lot. I mean, like you literally shoot, you 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 have the bolt back to the rear the magazine's still in and you're moving your rifle around and getting to a different position um again it's for me it was so much like skating because like you know we go up to you know you get to a spot and you're skating a ledge or a rail or something like that and everyone everyone is kind of has their own style and doing it their own way and the precision rifle is a lot like that right you can go up to a barricade and we'll have 10 different dudes and they might all shoot it slightly different right because they have their own style uh, to it so
0: yeah so okay so one thing i'm one last thing i I have to ask about because i just i just have to know you so you know a a bunch about about precision shooting and the mechanics behind it and proper you know posture and positioning all that stuff Uh so does it like when the rest of us watch like TV shows and movies, and we flip the hell out when we see poor handgun grip and stuff like that, or bad tactics, or or whatever, right? Does it do you guys? Do you do, you, do those of you in the the precision world also freak out when you watch movies like
1: like oh, yeah. American
0: Sniper or that shooter with Mark Wahlberg or the bad TV show that they did after it? Like, is it, yeah. does it make you cringe in all this of the same ways that we all do?
1: You know. You know, Shooter and American Sniper both actually did a fairly decent job at the the long gun stuff. I I I I can't there's nothing that pops off the top of my head, but then um but then there's other movies like um uh, John Wick. Uh, which which one did oh, i watch yeah. the other day? Was it was the first one it's it's one of those you know it's on tv and you know you got to watch it right so oh, yeah absolutely. and everyone 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 was like oh keanu man like he went trained you know with Taryn and got schooled up and like all the stuff is pretty legit which it is but then there's like that scene where um oh shit what is his name it's I uh, Willem the... Defoe in
0: the first one yeah
1: yeah 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 william defoe thank you yeah william yeah. defoe is like up on this uh this like roof and he's gonna shoot and he has this gun that he's like putting together i'm just like and then he takes up a position and shoots i'm like that is like the worst position that you could have (laughs) like shooting (laughs) like that play in in no way would you ever take a shot from that position so yeah no there's there's definitely stuff like that where you're like you're like no way or like you know yeah shooting like with the with the rifle sticking out of the window or something like that. And again, you're like, oh, you would never do that. You would be in the room, you know. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's 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 uh it, it has gotten better, I would say. Um, you know, one of uh one of our uh uh athletes that we sponsored Buck Doyle uh which by the way if any of your listeners want to a little plug for Buck, go check out Buck Doyle follow through consulting. He does a if you want to bridge that gap between your carbine shooting and your long range shooting, he does a gunfighter course that's like a mid to long range gunfighter course with carbines. Oh, super, sweet. super cool! Yeah, dude, it's awesome. Uh, anyways, he uh, he does a lot of consulting now on movies. Um, so they they've gotten smart about it. They're uh, they're engaging with a lot more actual you know uh, instructors, guys who know what they're doing on the movies um so I, I see less of it but yeah there's still some of it for sure
0: <laughs> yeah now i'm gonna have to go back and i mean i say it like i don't want to but like i'm gonna go i'm gonna watch john wick again and i'm gonna look for that scene specifically and try and figure out what you're talking about now because that's it's <clears throat> honestly the part of the movie that i usually like i have to like, go to the bathroom or something like oh yeah i've seen it once i know he gets out i mean spoiler alert for anybody listening
1: <laughs> the middle of right. the
0: movie is not when Canu dies. I mean, duh <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna have to go back and check that. I mean it, it is cool though that you see that we're starting to get more accuracy in movies and films and I think I mean hopefully helps people I know I feel like for better or worse, that's where like people pick up all of their ideas and and misconceptions about shooting and stuff is from yeah. uh, you know TV and movies. So uh hopefully yeah, for sure you know, it makes it easier for people for people getting their start.
1: Oh, even like uh, I remember, um, you know, uh, when the newer modern warfare came out, right? And yeah. you know, love him or hate, love them or hate him, You know, people love Lucas or hate Lucas. T Rex arms, Lucas, mm-hmm. but you know, they had him come out, right, and put all the put all the ping pong balls on him, you know, and watch how he like like draw, like draw and like shoot and move and everything like that. I thought that was pretty cool. So, you know, they're actually yeah. like legit trying to capture like what an actual person who knows like how to manipulate a uh, gun looks like so
0: yeah well they're actually building the logic into it too so you have things like and I know this because I'm like I've been awful with sniper rifles in every video game I've ever played and my friends are not um so, I mean, like when they roll out a new rifle or something, like, oh, yeah, hey, there's a glitch until next week's patch, but this gun that's in like 308 or 338, you know, Lapua or whatever, um, there's no bullet drop off. So, like, it does maximum damage from the other side of the map. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> but, you know, now the developers are getting smarter about it and they, you know, they, they drop off performance at distance and you have to, you know, actually use. Which is kind of cool, right? They actually have to use the reticle um, and the the markings and stuff to try and adjust for those shots at you know whatever distance and everything. So it is getting more realistic, which is nice to see. Um, again, yeah, are, you telling, are, you t- are you telling are you are you
1: telling me that bullets don't travel like lasers? They don't go straight.
0: That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. I know mind, mind blowing Jesus. to people. Mind blowing. Uh, mind blowing. I, yeah. <laughs> it, it's and that was like and that's always when when people ask me about like and it's always people who know nothing about shooting which is fine like i actually like talking to those people more than i do people that know a little bit and think they know a lot is oh, like oh for sure. all the knobs and stuff for and, and you know how do you make sure you're gonna hit this or you know whatever and like at a very very high level explain the concept of a zero and that no matter even you know, we're talking in large distances, but the bullet actually has the path of like a thrown rock and your line of sight is the laser and the two points of intersection are what you talk about zeroing to and all this stuff. And, um, usually by the time I get to that point, people start to, you know, like glaze over in the eyes and like, you totally have lost it. <laughs> <them, but. laughs>
1: yeah. No, usually uh, by that point, I have to go to the whiteboard cause I have to start drawing it. Cause if I'm just trying to yeah. explain it to them, yeah, you, you see them glaze over and you're like, well, I, I I don't understand the bullet still going up when you at your zero and then max ordinate, it. And then your second, you have a second like, well, zero. That's kind of, yeah. <laughs> kind yeah. of. So, yeah. Yeah, like Maybe
0: it's, a visual aid will help me explain a little bit better yeah. and you just have to make it yeah. really obvious, like a giant rainbow. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. No, which actually, so uh, some more plugs uh, for guys who don't even, they're not even associated with loopholes. So is Just good people like uh, Philip Vallejo uh you know uh modern day sniper um that's a great resource if you want to ever take a class or just just follow his instagram page like he's got so much good knowledge on the long range stuff uh sidewinder concepts adrian does a great job too of explaining really um making this stuff uh make sense for people who don't know a lot um Uh, max ordinate Academy. There's another one. Um, uh, Tyler Hughes there does a good job. So there's lots of good, um, legit instructors out there with really good knowledge and uh, good videos and YouTube stuff that you can
0: spend countless hours going down the rabbit hole, long range precision. And that's super helpful. I mean, I mean, this really is, I feel like one of those subjects that people just get really intimidated by, like I am, I, I don't have very much confidence, in my ability to shoot out past 200 yards, honestly. And it, it, when you start looking for resources or how to get better, or how to just even understand what you're doing uh, and and grow that knowledge, like I, having those good resources is is a number one, you know, where to reach out to and knowing that the response you're going to get is actually one that you can rely on. I mean, God knows there's enough like bad information out there uh hearing some of the guys that are out there doing the, the right things uh knowing mm-hmm. who to send people to or you know just getting word of mouth out there to to guys that that are doing the right stuff and teaching the fundamental concepts rather than just taking your money and like well you got to work on it you know you're only here for a day right better luck next <laughs> time uh, yeah yeah exactly that's, just, that's that's shitty yep yep for sure But uh, this has been awesome, man. I I appreciate you uh, you sharing this with me and with the listeners. There's just, and I know we there's still more to even get into, right? And I implore anybody that has questions at this point to not reach out to me because I will be a terrible resource. But (laughs) <laughs> uh you know reach out to any of the gentlemen that that nick just mentioned or uh nick i don't know if you make yourself available for those kinds of uh inquiries yeah. And questions, but
1: yeah for for sure I, I don't hide on instagram so shoot me a dm and i'll either uh answer your question or shoot you in the right direction so
0: hell yeah man well thank you again this has been great And, uh, like I said, if anybody listening to this, you guys have questions, there's rewind in the last like two minutes here, there's probably about eight people. Now you can reach out to for, for more information on, on the subject and, uh, you'll be infinitely better at it than I am for whatever (laughs) that's worth to you. So, but all right, sir, Cool. thank you for the time and, and the wisdom. And I certainly appreciate it. And, uh, we'll talk real soon. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. You're very welcome. I appreciate you and appreciate you having me on again. So it
0: was a good time. Absolutely, man. Stay safe. You too. All right, that was my discussion with Nick Titlicka of Leopold Optics, talking precision shooting, uh, long distance shooting. Uh, to some degree, right? We get into shooting fundamentals and and all that stuff. Uh, Nick's an awesome guy and clearly has a lot of experience uh, with with a lot of this, you know. And for a lot of people like myself. This is something that we don't know a ton about. So being able to tap him as a resource, as well as the the several other individuals which he uh, rattled off there towards the end, it's really really cool. Especially because this impacts not just those of us in the tactical space. Maybe you're in the competition space. Maybe you're a hunter and you just want to enhance your capability and be a better shot. You want to be more well informed about you know those the ballistics, uh, the scope that you're running, the cartridge that you chose, the ammo, you know, there's so much that gets involved. And I, I hate to throw it back to, to movies and things like that, but talk about like Will Smith's little snippet in suicide squad about the, you know, curvature of the earth coming into the effect of the shot or uh, you know, Mark Wahlberg's little rant there in the movie Shooter about it, but there's a lot of math that goes into this at, at super long distances or even intermediate distances. Understanding this stuff is, it's a, it's a skill set all its own, you know? So super happy that we got to have Nick on to talk about this. I'm certainly not one that can speak at a very high level about it. Uh, definitely, learned a bunch today myself. I hope you guys all enjoyed this and and learned something yourselves or at least maybe it sparked some of those questions in your mind. Hey, you know what? Now that they say that, I do this or I have that or I've never quite thought about that. I want to look into more information about XYZ and maybe you can seek out some help from Nick or, you know, Buck or any of the other guys that that he rattled off there. Um tons of information in that you guys will be able to take that run with it. Uh, there's, I feel like finally a better understanding, uh, on social media, I'll say, cause it's, it's not a knowledge thing for the actual, uh, practitioners out there, but social media is finally starting, I think, to get a better grasp, uh, and a better embrace of the precision shooting world. I think that a lot of us have had, and, and, and Nick and I even talk about it, right? We've had this, this idea that, Precision shooting and distance shooting was just bench and prone position shooting at a distance, trying to hit like a, a playing card or a poker chip, and it's it's definitely not the case. You know, there's tons to do out there in the competition realm. You can do bench shooting. You can do the movement piece that so many people find uh, cool and attractive and challenging. Uh, and you know, and honestly, he he pointed it out there. You don't even need to drop a ton of money. These don't have to be eleven thousand dollar, fifteen thousand dollar guns that you're you know, building to go do this. You can certainly do that if you have the funds to commit, but you know, Hey, build a bolt action gun, learn how that works, go out there and and figure out which, which cartridge and caliber you like. And then, Hey, maybe the flip side of that coin is that you can go ahead and use those skills and those capabilities to do some hunting, put some food on your table and fill your freezer. Uh, I think it's pretty cool stuff, man. Again, I, I learned a ton and I hope you guys did or at the very least I hope you guys found this entertaining it's a little bit from it's a little bit different from what we normally have on here and a little bit off the beaten path but definitely worth hearing and good information so like I said, I hope you guys enjoyed it. That's all I got for this week's episode, and uh, we're working on a ton. You know, as as we round out 2022 here, uh, I've been having more conversations with more guests, people that are gonna be coming on in the next few weeks. We got more stuff planned, uh, some things in the works, some things that are locked in for the next, uh, you know, a couple of weeks here through the holidays and everything. So stay tuned. It's gonna be it's gonna be real good stuff. I think you guys are all really really gonna enjoy. Uh, as always, we appreciate the hell out of you guys uh, uh, listening to the pod. And uh, stay tuned for more real good stuff. But until next time, y'all get out there, work hard, train smarter, and be prepared.